them four games in a row. And things are looking pretty good. They might not be looking quite as good right at this particular second. It's Wednesday evening, June 14th. This is Matt Sounds. I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. It was a good week, and we haven't let off a pod, I don't think, in a while with that phrase. So I'll say it again. It was a good week in Metsland. Uh, let's jump into the past week. So I think we were recording during the last game of the Texas series. Does that sound right to you when Wheeler was pitching? In any case, we won the last game of the Texas series, uh, four to three. That was Wednesday. So a week ago. And then, uh, off day on Thursday, the Mets took three out of four in Atlanta, which was a good result. Anytime you can take three out of four in a road series. I mean, the Braves are not a great team, but taking three out of four on the road is good. And then the uh, first two games of the Cubs series have been split, and the Mets are playing right now as we speak. And there was a point at which uh, every Cubs player had hit a home run who had hit in the game, and there were more than one of them. Anyway, that, that was two Cubs batters. Uh, Anthony Rizzo and Ian Happ homering back-to-back off Matt Harvey to lead off the game, and it's now the bottom of the first, and the Cubs lead it two to nothing. What's with this Ian Happ? He hit a grand slam against us yesterday, too. Is he the best who ever lived now? I don't think I know much about this player. He's definitely he's a, been a top-hitting prospect for a couple of years. He's been on the, the sort of prospect radar, been a top, you know, top 50, top 30 kind of prospect, very highly regarded prospect and, uh, you know, has, has sort of fit his way into this Cubs lineup between playing some second base when Ben Zobris is playing the outfield between playing some outfield himself with Kyle Schwarber struggling with the Cubs, not really having a center field solution, uh, so he's a, a younger guy who didn't look like there was a place for him, uh, before the season started, but he hit well in the minors and they called him up and he has hit very well in the majors. So that's my brief one on Ian Happ. And it sounds like he fits their organizational philosophy of guys who can play multiple positions. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Um, I think of him as playing predominantly second base in the minor leagues. I can now look that up and see if I am uh, saying truth or saying fiction. I just wasn't sure if you were talking about all the different um, issues the Cubs have had fielding. Or maybe it's it's more that they have so many guys that can play multiple positions that they were able to find a way to get Ian Happ into the lineup. Is that is that what you're saying? I'm looking at his major league stuff now, and he has mostly played center field. So basically the Cubs came into the season saying we're going to have some combination of Albert Elmora Jr. and John Jay, the free agent signing, playing center field, and we're going to sort of make it work with that. And neither neither of those guys have distinguished themselves. And so Ian Happ is, is playing a lot of center field these days. Well, I guess good for them. Not so good for the Mets right now with what Ian Happ is doing to them in this series. And as from the Mets side, I was all ready to say that this was going to be a big start for Matt Harvey. And I was interested to see how the first inning went, but I was hoping it wouldn't even come up on the show. We would just talk about the possibility of the start. But then he goes and allows home runs to the first two batters. And it kind of feels like one step forward, two steps back this season with Matt Harvey on the mound. Yeah, I just, I mean, we've talked about this before, but I don't have any confidence at this point when he's out there. If he goes out there and pitches, you know, six innings and gives up three runs, that seems like a, a sort of a major victory at this point. Um, so not not, not any consistency from Matt Harvey. Um, you see flashes of the old uh, great stud pitcher that he was, but uh, he is not a guy that I feel like the team can rely on at this point. When we had Mets blog contributor Maggie Wigan on a few weeks ago, she suggested sending Matt Harvey to the minors and letting him work things out. We, I think we were kind of both against the idea at the time, but I don't know. It's starting to make some more sense to me. What do you think? We just don't have – he's just uh, – I mean, he's clearly one of the best – how many pitchers are we carrying right now? Nine or ten arms – you know, in the organization. So to me, that is a little, uh, a little over the top, but he's not going to pitch out of the bullpen, right? The, the question to me is not whether he's one of the best 
nine or 10, but whether he's one of the best five in the rotation. And I mean, Zach Wheeler getting bombed the other day doesn't really help his cause, but if you've got Jake and Wheeler and Mats and Lugo and Gazelman all pitching effectively, there's a case to be made that even if Harvey is arguably better than one or more of those guys, that the Mets now with Steve Mats and Seth Lugo, and we should get into that a little bit as we talk about the good things that happened last week, but I think one possible benefit is that the Mets now do have the luxury, if they want, of letting Harvey work things out in the minors. And I think part of our objection earlier was we just, if we're still trying to win baseball games, we can't really afford to put send Matt Harvey to the minors, but now we kind of can. So I'm more open to the idea. Now, maybe he's going to settle down and have a good start tonight. Two solo home runs does not destroy an outing, but he needs to be really good the rest of the way. Um, but yeah, what do you, th- let's talk about the things that went well last week. How great was it to see Steven Matz and Seth Lugo come back and pitch effectively? I feel like we've been saying for weeks, we're waiting for these guys to come back. We're waiting for these guys to come back. They're throwing, they're, they're back in games. They're talking about when they might come back and, and we got them both back on the same weekend, you know, back to back days. And, uh, it was fantastic. Um, to me, you know, I have a, a lot of higher hopes for Steven Matz. Um, Lugo seems to me like a kind of a serviceable, uh, maybe, maybe a little better than replacement level player. But Matt's is, um, you know, Matt's a guy with a, a lot of upside, still a very young guy, has had a lot of tons of success in the major leagues when he's pitched. So super happy to have Matt's back. And in terms of Lugo, you know, a good guy to hold down the fort and eat up some innings, if if nothing else. Yeah, Matt certainly has the pedigree, but Lugo has been really good in the majors in the short time he's been there. And he had a nice start. This weekend, I am, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but his walk-strikeout ratio was excellent. Steve Matz actually only struck out two batters in what was otherwise a very strong start. On Saturday, I'm not worried about Steven Matz. I think the strikeouts will come, but Seth Lugo, as a major league starter, has been consistent. We've missed him with injury, but I, it's been a small sample, though, and certainly based on the pedigree, Steven Matz is the guy to have more confidence in the two. But hey, maybe we can get two guys pitching effectively, and then maybe Syndergaard can come back in a month, and then who knows? Um, but certainly a little more reason for optimism out of the Mets rotation. The days of Tyler Pill and who was the guy we claimed off? Well, let's talk about that in a second. But who was the guy (laughs) we claimed off waivers from the Brewers who made a couple starts for us? My boy, Tommy Malone. Tommy Malone. No more Tommy Malone. No more Tyler Pill. There will be some more Rafael Montero, unfortunately, as he was just again called up to the Major League team. Chris, what is going on? Well, he'll be on the team anyway. I don't know if we're going to see a start from him, but uh, yeah. Uh, so last night, uh, Zach Wheeler came out and got absolutely lit up in the first couple of innings. And they basically brought in Josh Smoker and said, and and we actually talked about this possibility, not about Smoker, but about the Mets having a long guy like this and having a guy who, who they needed to be able to say, Hey, Josh Smoker, come out and throw three or four innings. We really need the innings. And uh, I think Josh Smoker threw something like 81 pitches yesterday, which uh, was definitely a career high for him. And then today, perhaps unsurprisingly, you saw Josh Smoker go on the DL, which prompted uh, Montero to get called up. So my expectation is that now Montero slides into that role of the long reliever, the mop-up guy that kind of lasts you know, last guy out of the pen. Um, I don't know. Is that your expectation as well? It is. It's surprising to me that they would even give him that job because at this point I'm willing to try anyone else on the organization, but I agree with you that probably if Montero is in the game, that's a game whose outcome is no longer really in doubt. And so he shouldn't be used. Not only will he not be used in a high leverage situation, but even if there's any leverage at all to be had out of the situation, I don't think you'll see Rafael Montero enter the game, but it will be weird to see him even in a Mets uniform. Do you think this smoker DL trip is more, hey, now rest your arm for 10 days, or did he actually injure himself in this outing? It certainly might be that. I don't uh, I don't know too many details, but I know that a number of teams have 
used the new 10-day DL in that manner to give a guy break to sort of uh, make a difficult roster situation a little bit easier, Um, you know, and and also for injuries that are legitimate injuries but that might previously have been two or three or four days on a guy who's not – you know, a, a key, key guy, sort of bullpen guy or a reserve hitter or something like that, you will see teams this year using that 10-day DL. So it's certainly possible that that's the story with Josh Moker, that they said, we're not going to throw you for two or three or four days anyway coming off this 81-pitch outing in, in this blowout on Tuesday. And so, you know, we need a fresh arm, and so we're going to just sort of stash you on the DL. I buy that as a possibility. Another guy who had a heroic performance followed up immediately by a DL stint is Azdrubal Cabrera with two home runs on Monday night in Jake DeGrom's complete game victory over the Cubs. And then the next day, or maybe two days later, within the next two days, he lands on the DL himself. Cabrera's been playing hurt his entire Mets tenure, really, these last two seasons. Is this is this worrisome that he's landed on the DL for the second time this season? It is. I mean, um, my understanding is that it's uh, sort of an ongoing injury with the thumb. And so in that regard, the fact that it's gotten bad enough that they put him on the DL is not a good sign. Um, the surprising part of it to me is that they did not call up Ahmed Rosario yeah. uh, on the heels of this injury. Um, and I, I don't really know what to make of it. Look, when you've got a guy as productive as Jose Reyes out in yeah. the lineup, what are you supposed to do, Chris? Oh, my God. Yeah, this is what uh, every fan is asking Jose at this Reyes. point, is where is Ahmed Rosario? And it's it's really hard to come up with an answer. There was a while where you could say they wanted him to have more seasoning. They wanted to give Reyes and Asdrubal and everyone else time to be productive and find their swing. But... It's gotten to the point where if they were serious about trying to win this season, it seems insane not to call up a Rosario. I almost wonder if this is in some ways a good thing because they're kind of, as I am, not really too invested in the 2017 outcome. It's a still, despite the recent success, a pretty serious long shot that the Mets will find themselves in any kind of position to contend for a title this year. And so maybe they are just being cautious with Rosario, but Publicly, at least, the Mets seem to be committed to trying to still win in 2017, even if they shouldn't be. And so it's hard to reconcile that with their not calling up Rosario to this point. Do you think we'll see him in the next week? Is that possible? I don't think so, because I think if if it was that close, they would have just done it when Cabrera uh, got hurt. The thing to me is that at this point, you sort of don't gain anything by holding the guy down if you assume that he will be part of the opening day roster uh, next year. So the, and it's hard of, to imagine he's not, well, by the it's way. It's hard to imagine that for me as well. I, I agree with you. And so there's sort of these these intricacies of the collective bargaining agreement where you know, between opening day and sort of the beginning of June, there's an advantage to, you know, I don't want to go too deeply into it or whatever. But anyway, the point I'm making is all of those dates have passed. And so if you think that this guy is going to be part of our opening day team next year, and you and I both think that, you don't gain anything um, contract-wise or or arbitration years-wise, team control-wise, by holding the guy down anymore. And to me, he's clearly, you know, belongs among the the 25-man roster, and I'm saying bring him up and let's see what the guy can do in the big show. Yeah, that's a really good point you threw in there, Chris, which is that a lot of times teams are hesitant to call up players because they can save a little money down the road and or gain an extra year of team control if they let him stay in the minors past a certain date. But from that perspective, there's no benefit to the Mets at this point to leaving Rosario down. It will be the exact same years and money, we think, right? The exact same years and money at this point if they call them up or if they don't, assuming, of course, that he is on the opening day roster next year. And so the only benefits organizationally are if they they truly believe that he will have a better career arc, will progress 
to become a stronger player by staying in the minors and getting seasoning, coaching, everyday play that he might not get in the majors. But that argument doesn't really wash because assuming they have any confidence at all in their major league coaching staff, Rosario, if he were called up, would certainly play every day or close to it. With Reyes being unproductive, really the only guy on the left side of the infield that you'd play over him for sure right now is Wilmer Flores, who's having a breakout season at the plate. Fan favorite Wilmer Flores, who may never get traded from the Mets at this point after what he went through in 2015. <laughs> he, he's, he may be a Met for life now, and I think there's not a single fan who would be unhappy about that. But yeah, Ahmed Rosario, I mean, let's let's get some excitement going in the season. Let's call him up, guys. Come on. What are we waiting for, Sam? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, whatever the team control situation is, um, he's going to put some fannies in the seats, I think, at this point. Um, exciting young player, you know, good hitter, good fielder, you know, plays a premium position like this is this is a, a PR opportunity as well. Keith Hernandez loves that word, fannies, by the way. Fannies in the seats. Uh, I think that's where he, I got fanny, that. Fannies in general. He just likes fan, talking about the guys. This fanny flying out when someone's hitting and like he, he bails out and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Ahmed Rosario, the Mets acquired him as a kid, as a free agent signing, I believe. Is that true? I think Chris, he was an think? international free agent. I, I, yeah, I, I think I think so as well. But the Mets acquired the rights to a whole bunch of other players recently with the minor league amateur, not the minor league, with the amateur draft that just happened this last week. And compared to the other sports, the baseball draft gets very little coverage. I mean, if you were in Philadelphia anywhere near the time of the NFL draft this spring, you you would be inundated with these huge banners over City Hall these different rules about where to park on the street. It was absolutely insane. Philadelphia just apparently can't handle any kind of event. But the NFL draft is this monumental undertaking that involves basically reorganizing a city two months in advance. Whereas the Major League Baseball draft, I couldn't tell you if it's even in a certain location or if guys are just on the phone drafting people. Like, I have no idea. So that tells you a little something about the different levels of fanfare associated with it. But it also has a very different effect on the professional clubs, players in the NFL and NBA drafts, especially in the early rounds, are pretty much expected to, to contribute for the team the very next season. And actually, usually your first round pick is supposed to be a pretty good player for you right off the bat. Whereas in baseball, if your first round pick makes the majors in some, that's often considered a success, even not even if he's a great major leaguer, but if he contributes at all at the major league level, you've kind of hit on that pick. So that's probably some of the reason why the draft doesn't get as much attention, but there are other reasons as well. So Chris, can you talk a little bit about how the major league baseball draft works and why it's so different from the other sports? Well, the first thing I want to say is um, I agree with your assessment of the NFL draft versus the others. And I think, uh, I think it's been a very conscious effort by the national football league to make the draft a spectacle. And to make the lead up to the draft, you know, the top story on ESPN for weeks and weeks before the thing starts. And, Drives me insane, by the way. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, frankly, they've done a good job. I mean, I, I'm not – you're probably a bigger football fan than I am. But even, you know, even for a casual football fan like myself, I get – I start to get excited around the draft. I start to read – you know, I'm a Giants fan. I start to read, okay, who are, who, who are people talking about the Giants uh, drafting? And I do buy in a little bit to I, I get sucked in a little bit to the spectacle of the NFL draft. And, you know, uh, if I'm if I'm around that night, if I'm free, I will put the draft on television, even though I don't really know the players. And I'm not a huge football fan in season as much as I am a baseball fan. But they have succeeded in building this spectacle of a draft of this event that happens on one night. And I think MLB would do well to try to, you know, to, to try to copy some of the things that the NFL has done. For a while, the Major League Baseball draft wasn't even on TV. It is on TV now. They invite some of the guys to a place. I don't know where the place is either. I, I heard you say you don't know. I don't know either. Um, but, okay, so you asked me, taught you sort of, sort of overview of the MLB draft. Yeah, really quick, let me just get in and say, from a marketing standpoint, you're right that the NFL has been hugely successful with the draft. And it sounds like they've got you at least a little bit that you're reading up and you would watch it if it's on TV. 
they have not got me yet. And part of that is part of the reason for that is something we'll get into in talking about the baseball draft is that we are really in no position at all to evaluate any of these picks. I mean, the, the amount of research that goes into scouting these players, there's just no way we could duplicate it as fans kind of sitting at home. And so it's all ridiculous to me to, to try to evaluate who we're picking and whether it was a good pick or not. But almost more to the point, you said you would watch it if it's on TV. I was playing poker when this year's NFL draft was going on. And in the poker room, they turned off a playoff hockey game to put on the NFL draft. Now, granted, it was in Atlantic City, which is near Philly, and so maybe they got some of the local draft buzz. But to me, this is the most insane thing ever. Playoff hockey is possibly the most exciting sport that's ever on television. You're going to turn that off for not a sport. You're going to turn that off for some guy going up to a microphone and saying some kid's name that we have no idea if it means anything or not. To me, it's ridiculous. And in some ways, it is a triumph of marketing because that they have so successfully sold everyone that this is a sport and a spectacle that's more worthy of viewing than an actual amazing entertaining product like an NHL playoff game is nuts. And me personally, I would watch anything else on TV before the NFL draft, I think. But I know I'm in the minority because they have won. They have done a good job creating the spectacle. And I agree with you that Major League Baseball should try to copy that a little bit because I'm certainly a much bigger baseball fan than football fan. You say I'm a bigger football fan than you, but honestly, I barely even follow football anymore myself. I used to be a huge football fan, but for various reasons we won't get into on this podcast, at least not now. I've soured on the NFL quite a bit in recent years, but I still love baseball, and I would love, <laughs> ironically, I would love if the baseball draft would be made more of a big deal out of it. I still probably wouldn't watch it <laughs> because for the same reasons I don't watch the NFL draft, but I would, I would like to see baseball growing its product in a similar way. Okay, so you're about to start talking about the differences between, the practical differences between the baseball draft and the other sport. Between you and me, listeners, the Jets are bad, and that bad. Makes it, and, and they're they're beyond bad. They're Wait, bad. A minute. The Jets are way beyond bad. They're, they're ridiculous. Bad this they're... year, they're bad last year. They're bad next year. And and my good friend Matt is a diehard Jets fan, and that makes it hard. It makes it hard to be a. Big... Well, I'm I'm not gonna lie. It's definitely easier with the Jets being terrible to tune out of the NFL a little bit. I think even if they were better there's been other factors too that have that have made me less interested for sure and even when the jets were having a pretty good run with ryan fitzpatrick the season before last i was not as into it not nearly as into it as i had been in other jet seasons where they had success but yes it, it is a little easier to check out now knowing that not only are the jets bad they have really no not much reason to hope right now it's pretty insane although the beauty of the nfl and this is another genius move on the league's part is that Teams are very rarely terrible for very long. They can they can really turn around in a hurry and go from being a 1-15 or 0-16 Detroit Lions team to bring a, being a pretty good Detroit Lions team in not too much time. And as bad as the Jets are, they were not 0-16. And really, any team that wins a few games can be a playoff team in the next season in the NFL. It's why people love one of the reasons people love the sport so much. I think that's true that any team can do that, except not the Jets. Oh, these jets are really, really uh, okay. bad. Okay, enough. Uh, sort of, we got off the track here. Okay, MLB draft. Um, it's a... So, basically, you take the standings from the previous season and you flip them on their head. So, the worst team gets the first pick. And uh, there's like a million rounds in, in the MLB draft. Something like 40 rounds. You read about these guys. Like, uh, a good example is like Mike Piazza was like a... 35th or 40th round pick or something like that like some you know you know hundreds and hundreds of players got picked before this guy um so and and that's that's it that's pretty basic and um one of the things that limits the sort of spectac spectacle appeal that the nfl draft has is that you're not allowed to trade picks so one of the things that really gets people you know frothed up in the nfl draft is you know, it's it's five picks into the draft and Roger Goodell walks up to the microphone and he says, there's been a trade. And then everyone in the crowd goes, ooh. So we don't have that. That really does happen. Yeah, that's what it, I mean, it happens all night in the, in the first couple of rounds. Of the By the way, Mike Piazza, the lowest drafted player ever to get inducted into the Hall of Fame, taken in the 62nd and final round and wasn't of the 1987. And, and, and wasn't it even, isn't there some story where it's like, oh, yeah. you know, 
Lasorda. He was like, only taken. He's, he's like Lasorda's. He's like a family Godson. member of Lasorda. Yeah, he, right? was, he was only taken as a favor to Tommy yeah. Lasorda. No one, no one thought he was a, any kind of prospect. He was just, it was just a favor. Okay, fine. We'll use our 62nd round pick to take Mike Piazza. Anyway, uh, go on, Chris. You were talking about how in the NFL, oh, there's a trade, and then crowd goes wild. But in baseball, so, no. Can't trade picks in the MLB draft. So, whatever picks you go into the draft with. Those are the picks you're going to. You're, those are the picks you're going to have, and there are also rules about trading players who you have recently drafted. So they they basically they want you to keep whatever picks you have and keep those players for some period of time, whether it's a year or two. I don't know off the top of my head. Um, there are some uh, with the way that the qualifying offer situation has worked out in in free agency. There are now scenarios where a team can sign a player in free agency and lose their one of one or more of their draft picks through those offseason signings to other teams who lost that player. That's kind of a, an edge case. You know, it happens a couple of times a year. But that's a sort of an overview of the MLB draft. And so this year, the Metropolitans. Uh, you know, finished in the top half of baseball last year, and so they had the 20th pick. And with that pick, they selected uh, Oregon left-handed pitcher David Peterson. So this is a guy who was a college player. He went through his his time in college at Oregon. He, you know, was a first-round pick. He obviously had very good numbers in college. Uh, he is a guy who had a 20-strikeout game earlier this season, which was very impressive. Um, some more things about David Peterson. So I'm okay. So my guy, my number one guy on these prospects and these young guy is John Sickles, who writes for minorleagueball.com. So I'm going to read a little bit from the minor league ball piece on, uh, David Peterson. So one thing I like about this guy is he's six foot six and two forty. So um, just when you look at the baseline for, you know, a pitcher who, who a young pitcher who you're, you're getting, uh, generally the smaller guys have less success or higher, you know, rate of failure. They sort of don't hold up, particularly starting pitchers. And so this guy, David Peterson, six foot six, 240 pounds, uh, left-handed. 240 is, is somewhat slender for a six foot six guy, isn't it? It seems about right to me, six, yeah. six to 40. Right. I don't know. You, you, maybe you know better than me. Yeah, maybe for a pitcher, it's fine. It's not like we're asking him to play, you know, linebacker or something. But, uh, yeah, it's – um, no, I mean, this guy's numbers are off the charts. I'm sure you're going to get into his, his scouting report a little more. But, yeah, I mean, everything I've heard about this pick I love. But go ahead, Chris. Continue with the Sickles report there. The number that I like the most about Peterson's season this year is that – his strikeout to walk ratio was 107 to six. My God. And so one of the things that uh, troubles a lot of pitchers who are uh, this guy's age is command. You know, they throw really hard and they can strike a lot of guys out, but the walks, they walk a lot of guys as well. And that sort of dooms a lot of these prospects that they have that profile coming out of, uh, you know, coming into to professional ball. And people say, we hope that this guy will sort of figure out the command piece and then he's going to be really good. And a lot of them just never figure out how to you know, stop walking guys. So David Peterson comes to the Mets already having the command piece um, in place. And that's a, a really positive thing to me. And I think, you know, having read a bunch about this guy, I, I think I can sum it up by saying he's very much. Uh, a sort of ready-made product. He's sort of like a what you see now is what you're going to get. He's not a guy who has huge, huge upside and ceiling beyond the performance that you've already seen. He's not a guy who people expect will will have a chance to sort of blossom and, and become, you know, the next Clayton Kershaw. It's not that kind of profile. However, the floor is very high on David Peterson. And particularly for where the Mets are in their arc as a team right now, I really like that kind of selection. Because if you look at, you know, some of the more mature, more ready college pitchers who have come out 
in the last few drafts, uh, some of those guys are contributing on the major league level like around one year after they get drafted. And so the Mets have this window that we've talked about where for the next, you know, two or three years at least after this one, the core of the team is going to be in place. You have Noah Syndergaard under control for another few years. You have Jake DeGrom under control for another few years. You have Michael Conforto, like we talked about at length last episode, under control for another few years. You've signed Ioannis Cespedes. He has some, you know, outs, so who knows. But, you know, you have that guy under contract. And, you know, those are probably the best four players on the team. You have Ahmed Rosario coming up, hopefully, this year, next year, expected to be a, a very solid contributor. You have Tom Smith coming up. So the point I'm trying to make is, as between selecting somebody like David Peterson with your first pick and the alternative being picking one of these prep kids who's, you know, 17, 18 years old, but who's not going to contribute in the major leagues for at least three or four or five years. I really like the choice that the team made to pick a guy who has an opportunity to join this core of really solid players and hopefully win us a World Series in the next two or three years. According to the book Moneyball, Billy Bean adopted, then general manager of the Oakland A's, who the book is basically about, adopted a philosophy of basically only taking college players in the drafts and pretty much ignoring the high school kids because there was just too much variability with high school players. Yes, if you have an 18-year-old, he may become much better than the the 22-year-old more sure thing that you have in front of you, but... For Billy Bean, it just wasn't worth the risk, particularly with a small market club like the A's, where they only had so much money to give their players. They just couldn't afford to put out a big signing bonus on a long shot superstar, but likely someone who fizzles out. And so for his for his club, it just made way more sense to Billy Bean, according to the book Moneyball, and according to how he actually drafted, to take much more lower, many more lower risk players basically to invest his money on, as you say, closer to ready-made prospects, players who were expected to contribute earlier. And first of all, do you think this is a trend that continued in baseball? Do you think it's something that the bigger market teams don't need to worry about as much? But given that the Mets with all of the constraints put on by Bernie Madoff and the Wilpons involvement with them basically being operated like a small market team in some respects by Sandy Alderson. Do you think that philosophy has filtered down to the Mets and do you think that entered into their thinking? I think so. Um, You certainly still see the top, top prep guys uh, going early. I mean, the first three picks this year uh, were high school players. So it's certainly not something that has, um, you know, turned the tide to where you're not having prep guys picked at the top of the draft. But um, to me, it, it it is in line with where I think the, the club is and having this window for the next two or three years and adds that can contribute. Um, the Mets, we'll talk about the number two pick in a second, but... If you look at the the first ten rounds, I think they're doing ten plus tonight. Um, so I don't I don't have any updates. There's still about more that. rounds tonight. Are you serious? Well, we were talking about this before. There's there's you know 729 round. What round was Piazza draft? Yeah, I guess it started on Monday and it's only Wednesday. So there yeah. there probably are more it's rounds, three, right? It's Piazza nights. was drafted in the 62nd. I don't know if there are still 62 rounds of this thing, but there are still quite a few. Let me let me see if I can find out for you. But anyway, you were anyway, saying that they're doing yeah. the rest tonight. So I've got, you know, some notes on the first 10 picks. They did the first 10 rounds between Monday and, and Tuesday. And, you know, to to sort of um, adding on to our discussion here of the college players, the Mets drafted uh, a slew of college players and a slew of college pitchers. And I was reading a, a quote from one of the Mets scouting guys, and this was interesting. This I didn't know this before today, but it sounds like so. One of the dynamics in the draft is that uh, if there's a, a high school kid who is considering either going to college or going to pro ball, 
previously, what you could do is you could pick that guy later in the draft for where his talent is, and you could decide, I'm going to throw a bunch of money at this guy and try to convince him not to go to college and just to go straight to pro ball. It sounds like now they have changed the rules about what money is available to teams to give to players. And so you, you sort of, it's, it's not possible anymore to throw these huge bonuses at players who you, out of the high school players who you draft in later rounds. And so this Met scouting guy was saying, because of these changes in the rules, what we are left with is just sort of drafting a bunch of college players in these in these rounds that are not right at the beginning of the draft. So that so was this, this is another big difference between baseball and the other sports. In football, you're pretty much only drafting college players, mostly juniors and seniors. And if you draft someone, you have the exclusive right to try to sign them for a year. And every once in a while, a player fails to sign over a year and gets thrown back into the pool or becomes a free agent. But for the most part, players, the teams that draft a player get that player and they get him in the next season. And that's just very, very normal. In the NBA, if you draft a player, I think you have rights for several years to, to that guy to come, to come to some kind of terms on a contract. In baseball, you have the right to try to sign a kid for, I believe it's two months after the draft. It might even be less than that. Um, and if you don't, if you can't sign him by August, that's it. You lose him. He goes to college or he, you know, goes back into the draft the next year or whatever. So particularly for the high school players who have this other alternative of not becoming a professional athlete at age 18, but instead going to college and continuing to, to hone their skills while getting an education, it can be a very attractive option. And so, yes, the, and then now Chris talks about this rule change. And so with the latest collective bargaining agreement, the major league baseball has changed how much money each team gets to sign all of their draft picks. And it's based on where they're picking in the draft. So they have a pool. So it's not like they can't throw some money at a high school player to try to entice them in a later round. It's just that they used to be able to throw whatever they wanted pretty much. And now there, there are limits to what they can do. So anyway, that's going to, Bring up the Mets' second round pick, I think, Chris, you're about to get to. Oh, I wanted to say one other Maybe. thing. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Which is that there's another sort of dynamic around acquiring players in baseball right now, which is that a ton of players come through the international signing market, which is a separate sort of arrangement from the amateur draft. And we were that's, talking about... That's a great about, point. In, we in were, baseball, and sorry, in basketball and football, pretty much everyone you get, you drafted, but that's not at all true in baseball. Right. In basketball, if you're going to draft some guy from France or some guy from Africa, they come in through the same amateur draft that uh, the Americans do, and that's not the case in... Uh, that's not the case for baseball. And so uh, we were speaking before about Ahmed Rosario, and I found... From July 2nd, 2012, the Mets have signed Dominican shortstop Ahmed Rosario for $1.75 million. Uh, possibly one of the best signings ever in the history of the world because he's... When he was be, like, what, 11? Like, Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. 2012, so... They signed these the kids so young. Yeah, I mean, well, he's only he's only 19 now, right? Uh, 19 so or he, 20, yeah. Okay, so he was it was at most 15. I mean, that's, you know, crazy. Anyway, go on. Anyway, I just I just bring it up because there is this other way for teams to acquire players, and generally the players who are acquired in the international market are younger, so they're sort of peers of these high school guys, and so I think a lot of teams fill in their sort of younger players, uh, the very young players through the international market, and then acquire more. Uh, 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 amateur players who are a little older through the draft. So anyway, point being, a lot of college guys taken in the draft. However, the Mets' second-round pick was a prep guy, a shortstop named Mark Vientos from Florida. And Mark Vientos uh, was the youngest guy, I believe, who was taken in the first uh, in the first few rounds. Wow. So as a contrast to Peterson, uh, I actually really like this one, two sort of this sort of uh, package of of these first two players that the Mets picked. So you have Peterson, who we talked about, who's this sort of high floor 
you know, sort of predictable, what you see is what you get player. And Vientos is the exact opposite. He's a very young guy. He's a high school player. And there's sort of this wide range of opinion. Some people think that this guy has a really high ceiling. There's a name thrown around in a couple of these articles. A couple of the articles throw around the Manny Machado name. I think mostly because he's a guy who's a shortstop right now who people don't expect to stick at shortstop. And so that's what's happened to Manny Machado as he's moved to the majors. So, I mean, I don't know. Frankly, the the MLB draft is a really a crapshoot. Um, plenty of first round, second round, you know, very highly regarded players flame out and never make it to the majors and sort of or end up being bad picks. And there's also plenty of Mike Piazza stories out there of guys who were nowhere on the radar, who were either not drafted at all, even though there's 7,462 rounds, or they were drafted, you know, very late and and not expected to make the majors. And they turn into these, you know, these very productive or all-star players. So the draft is is, is a crapshoot. And we are not, you know, prospect experts or or anything like this. But, um, you know, to me, I like the pairing of the first two players, one uh, sort of high floor pitcher and then a sort of high volatility prep guy who nobody really knows what's going to happen, but he might be really, really good. I agree that we're not prospect experts. I'm not sure that anyone is a prospect expert, which is the other part of this equation. You just don't know about these kids, and it is, it is largely guesswork. But here's something that's a little bit less guesswork, which is we've talked about how you have to be able to sign these players in order to make use of them, in order to have them in your organization. Fientos is a kid. He's going to prep school in Florida. He already has a commitment to the University of Miami right nearby if he doesn't sign with the major league team. The Mets brass claims that they are not concerned about signing this kid. They think he wants to play professionally. That's what he wants to do. They claim they've done their homework and they have very little concern that they won't be able to sign Vientos before the deadline. Do you believe them or are you worried that this kid is just going to play for the a top, the top, one of the top baseball programs in the country at Miami right nearby where he lives? You know, I do believe them. I, I think that generally these days, if you spend a first, second, third round pick on a prep guy, generally those guys sign. So that's my expectation. Um, who knows? Maybe he'll back out. Maybe he, you know, hates New York or something like that. But uh, I get the sense that that you know the teams can talk to these guys ahead of time. And generally these days, uh, the prep guys who get picked early will sign. Sometimes you'll still see teams take a shot on a later guy and try to convince them and they don't sign. But I expect uh, Vientos to sign without a problem. Game update. The much maligned Matt Harvey is now through three innings with no further damage. One walk and four strikeouts so far. So that's all good. And the Mets have an unearned run off a Chris Bryant error. So the score is now Cubs 2, Mets 1 going to the fourth inning. Um, yeah, Reyes, yeah, so, Reyes was up when, uh, I'm just watching on the MLB.com game cast here and it says Reyes is up and then it says, uh, you know, in play runs. And I thought like, ah, oh, Jose finally, you know, did something great. Yeah, and it no, turns out no, that no, he just he grounded it to Brian. He just yeah. hit a ground ball and the guy just, just booted it. Um, we, we got off track on Harvey a little bit, but just to, to kind of loop back around as a counterpoint to our Tuesday about Matt Harvey. His last five outings before tonight, he has given up uh, more than three runs only once. So I, I don't know. I was just looking at that. You know, to me, that's not a guy who needs to get sent to the minor leagues. He is by no means pitching well. By by no stretch do I imagine that he's going to become the Matt Harvey of old. But um, you know, he, he's also not been terrible. And, you know, the, the earlier starts in the season, he had a run where he was giving up five, six runs, you know, th three outings in a row. But it hasn't been so bad lately. It doesn't look like he's going to, you know, 
get his socks knocked off tonight. So for me, I'm sticking with Harvey in the major league rotation. Do you have anything else to say about the draft, Chris, or do we pretty much cover as much as we know how to cover about the amateur draft in major league baseball? I think we're good with the draft. I certainly don't think of myself as any kind of expert. I do some reading about the draft every year in preparation for some of these keeper fantasy leagues that I'm in, but I'm not, I don't follow college baseball. Um, you know, so I, I think we have exhausted everything that we know about the MLB draft. Has, has anyone from the 2015, our 2015 draft hit the majors yet? Conforto was, was 2014 or 23? I think we said 2014 for Conforto, right? Uh, this is a good question. Let me pull this up here. Matt's 2015 draft. We might have to pause the podcast while we while we look this up, but no, just I, just I, just riff. Uh, yeah, I mean it's a little while usually before you see these guys. As we get excited about these picks, Dom Smith we've talked about as a prospect was a first round pick, but it was quite a while ago. And I'd actually be pretty surprised if we've seen anyone from either of the last two drafts make it onto the Mets. Right. Yeah, certainly. Good, yeah, good, you got it. Good riffing. I got it. Okay. Uh, the only guy who is on my radar from the 2015 draft is this guy Thomas Sapuki. I've heard that name. Was, oh, he oh he was in the he was in the Cyclones. That's why I know that name. He was a monster for our local Brooklyn Cyclones Mets minor league affiliate. Where is he right now? He he was our uh, fifth round pick in 2015, and he's still pitching in A ball. But he is he has become he's sort of, you know, become one of our top prospects. This guy this is uh, one of our top prospects these days. So uh, suffice it to say, nobody from that draft class has made it to the major leagues. Let's look at 2014. So Conforto, by the way, Sapucky for the Brooklyn Cyclones, 39 strikeouts in 23 innings. He was just lights out. Anyway, go on. Uh Conforto is is the big one from the 2014 draft, um, obviously picked in the first round. And frankly, I'm looking at the rest of these names and none of them are looking familiar to me. So. It's really amazing how many all of these picks and we're pretty big Mets fans, in case you guys couldn't tell. And we're just looking at all these picks and being like, yeah, I don't know any of these dudes. Uh, there's not there's not anyone on the radar from last year's draft or is that what's I mean, probably not. Right. Uh, nobody's on my radar in terms of, um, contributing to the major league team. And I think that's pretty, that's pretty normal. It would be, Oh yeah, for sure. It's a pretty special player who is contributing or, or ready to contribute at the major league level after, after one year. But I mean, even looking back to 2013, Dominic Smith was the first round pick. And after that, I recognize LJ Mazzilli in the fourth round. Um, mostly recognize him from the, the lineage. Um, and I know that he has been in our system and that's about it from the 2013 draft. So the, the sort of the point is, and, and we've come back to this, it's a real crapshoot and there are multiple ways that teams acquire players. And, um, you know, so keep an eye on the international signings, keep an eye on some of the undrafted free agents and stuff like that. But, um, but in any case, it's fun to dream on these high draft picks. And we have at least two at the top this year that are dream worthy. I've, I've got a draft for you. 2012 draft. Okay. Okay. Let me Mets pull it up. First, first pick in 2012, Gavin Sacchini. I know that guy. Who we still hope to be seeing on the major league team this season. Right. I would think. Yeah. He's certainly an option. Um, you know, uh, similar to, to, to Rosario, I guess we don't have a place for him right now, but uh, definitely on the radar. The Mets then had a pick between the first two rounds in 2012. They took a catcher named Kevin Plowecki. I know that and guy. And this is kind of an example of what I was talking about. This almost counts as a good pick in the baseball draft because we've been talking about looking at all these drafts, and most of these guys just never make the majors at all. Kevin Plowecki has become a backup major league catcher. Is that... A good, I mean, it can't be considered a good pick, right? Kevin Plowecki no, is not I, all that valuable. I think certainly they hoped that Kevin Plowecki would be a better hitter than he has turned out to be. The next pick in the second round, and I'm kind of surprised this guy was drafted this recently, Matt Reynolds. I know that guy. He was 22 years old, so he was already a college player when they signed him. Unlike Sacchini and Plowecki, 
Well, actually, Pilecki was born in 91, so I guess he was a college player too. But Sacchini was born in 93, so he was just a kid when they took him in the 2012 draft. I didn't realize Matt Reynolds was thought of as that high of a prospect because in my mind, he's always been kind of a mid-20s guy who was good enough at AAA to occasionally be called up and play a utility role at a major league level, but not really someone you think of as a prospect. You know what I think it is? I think there's just a lot of professional baseball players. And, yeah, that's true. And too. so the rankings or the the draft ordering as it comes out of the draft really gets shuffled around as these guys move through the minor league system and as they get sort of put into minor league teams with some of these international signees, some of the undrafted guys. So maybe this is our takeaway from the, the all the draft talk today that the draft ordering maybe beyond the first or second round sort of doesn't really mean very much. Another guy from that 2012 draft who is 10th round, who is on the team right now, 10th round, Paul Seawald. Yeah. I was just looking at that. It's pretty funny. It, it just randomly, some guy you take will make the majors at some point, but there's almost no rhyme or reason to it. All right. Oh, and I just found I'm, I'm scrolling back through years here. Oh, there's a killer in 2011. 2011. Man. You found the same guy I did 13th round. Oh, actually, I was thinking of a different guy. Oh. But go ahead. Who's in the thirteenth round? Thirteenth round, Robert Gazelman in twenty. Oh, very nice, very nice. The one, the one that hurt a little more was a sandwich pick between the first two rounds, Michael Fulmer. Oh uh, yeah, I know that guy. Oh wow, look at this. In this is great. We should we should look back more at these. Twenty eleven. The yeah, Mets, there's some, this is a great list here. Go ahead. Uh, no, the the Mets in the twenty eighth round signed uh, Jarrell Cotton who is pitching oh, wow. Jeez. major leagues right now. And he was a prep guy, and they didn't sign him. Right. You said you said signed. You meant drafted. They oh, took sorry, him, they which was clearly worth it for the 28th round. If there's any chance you can sign him. They did not sign him. He apparently went to college, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but, I don't know his story, but apparently. And how about this in that same draft? Maybe this is the guy you saw in the 34th round. Ooh, that's a great one. Seth Lugo in the 34th round. That's awesome. So, okay. No, I was just looking at the top. I was just looking at the top of the draft. It's kind of hysterical who we took first. So the draft, our picks go like this. First round, Brandon Nimmo. Sandwich pick, Michael Fulmer. Next pick, Corey Mazzoni, who I don't, I mean, I think he actually has bounced around in the majors a little. Uh, third round pick, Logan Verrett. Fourth round pick, Tyler Pill. Tyler Pill, who we know of a little bit now. Fifth round pick, Jack Leathersitch, and eighth-round pick Danny Muno. All of these are guys who at some point or another have uh, uh, popped up in the majors, none of them with the exception of Fulmer, who, of course, is a great pitcher now for the Tigers. None of those guys have really had much impact on the major league level. They've just kind of appeared there. And I think that's, I mean, in some ways, getting major leaguers out of all those picks is a good draft. On the other hand, if they're just basically replacement guys at the major league level, does it really count? I don't know. It's very interesting, and it almost makes me want to take the prep guys a little more because a lot of these guys who are ready, if you know that they're just kind of replacement players to start with, then I don't know. At least with the later picks, I kind of like the Jarrell Cotton sort of gamble or the Seth Lugo gamble or whatever. Yeah, the problem with the, the 2011 draft is that Brandon Nemo just has kind of not worked out as a top guy i mean we really had high hopes about him he he was uh you know he he was a, a high flying you know prep guy and, and a high ceiling everybody had these high projections for brandon emo the 13th pick in 2011 and really at this point is not looking like that's going to play out yeah the, the top picks that have worked out conforto in 2014 in the first round with the seventh overall pick in 2010 Matt Harvey. And I know we're, we're, you know, talking about the struggles he's had now, but boy, that, I mean, amazing worked at, that pick worked out amazingly well. And he was a guy who was a high school pitcher at the time. It certainly wasn't a sure thing. Um, or wait, I'm sorry. Was he a high school pitcher? No, he went to, he did go to college, right? For a year. Harvey was a, uh, picked out of college. Yeah. He's, he's born. Um, I don't have his birthday here. He was, Oh yeah, it's 89, and so he was. Yeah, he was already 21. So excuse me, he was a he was a college pitcher. I believe he was. He must have been drafted at a high school, right, and turned it down. I mean, that must have been something 
that happened. But anyway, there's a, there's a there's a pitcher who we took, and he was ready made pretty much in 2010 and was already really good. It's almost surprising that he made it to the seventh pick. And part of the reason for that, especially back then, could have been that teams didn't think they could afford what Scott Boris would have asked for in a signing bonus. Is that true, Chris? What I'm saying? Yeah, that sounds. That I I don't know exactly from that situation, but that sounds about right to me. Uh, I looked back even one year. It's it's fun looking back at these. I didn't do this before we got on the on the air, but it's fun looking back at these prior drafts. Did you see the the first round or the first pick that we had? It was a second round guy from two thousand nine. Uh tell me, Stephen Matz. Yeah, Stevie. So he was yes. actually picked earlier drafted by us earlier than Harvey earlier than DeGrom earlier than than all of these other guys who have come up I mean obviously he was a prep guy but that's that's what was surprising to me that Steven Matz is a guy who's been in the organization since 2009 by the way Matt Harvey was taken in the third round the third round of the 2007 draft by the Angels and didn't they sign. didn't sign him he went to college and then got it became a first round pick three years later all right I got one more fun First round pick yeah. for you, and then maybe we will. Uh... Oh, wow. all right, all right. I got two. I'm I'm going back year by year here. Okay, 2008, Mets first round pick, pick number 18, Isaac B. Davis. Oh man, we AKA, thought that one worked out for a while. AKA Ike. And Ike. then uh, one more, just for giggles, of a guy who's still around in the major leagues. 2005, the Mets with the first their their first round pick chose Mike Pelfrey. How is he still in the majors? I feel like he's still in the majors because he was a first round pick in 2005. I mean, he's never been good, right? I mean, at this point Mike Pelfrey is a guy who you can throw out there and he will eat innings, he will pitch, you know, five or six innings every day, you know, every every fifth turn and he's he's on the White Sox now and the, the White Sox are not particularly good and you know, they sort of have a lot of these young arms in the minor leagues who are going to come up, but they're not quite up yet. And frankly, they need guys to start start baseball games and not embarrass themselves. And that's Mike Pelfrey at this point in his career. In the 2007 draft, in the first like six rounds or so, the Mets took guys who probably unless you're a diehard fan, you haven't heard of any of them. But in the seventh round, they took someone named Lucas Duda. I know that. So guy. that just shows you, I mean... That's just a monster return for a seventh round pick. So it's it's just basically huge potential reward, but a very high probability of nothing happening with these draft picks. And so that's I mean, I think that's something that's going to be trouble for baseball because you can't it's not like you can promote these guys as part of your team once you draft them. First of all, you don't even know if they'll be on your team. And second of all, there's not just a possibility, but a likelihood that even the top picks are not going to become very good, possibly not even major leaguers. And certainly after the first round, that's true. I mean, after the first round, if you get a major leaguer, you've pretty much had a successful pick. So it's tough. It's, it's a tough thing to sell to the public. But, you know, junkies like us enjoy it. All right. Well, that was fun looking back at the draft. Let's look forward. What do the Mets have? We mentioned that after the Cubs series in the last show, we mentioned they have the Nationals series coming up. I expected disaster on the last show. And despite the Mets' recent improvements, I still don't like our chances against the Washington Nationals this weekend, Chris. Yeah, it's four against the Nats uh, oh, at, at City Field. So that's yeah, okay. a good sign. Um, and then following that, uh, another four-game series, we travel out to L.A. to play the Dodgers, who... They're you know, good, too. They, Damn. They, they could possibly be the, the only team that's better than the Nats in the National League. The Dodgers have had an amazing run recently. So... Um, and, and playing the Cubs right now, another team that's thought of as, as among the best. So definitely a tough run here. So the rubber game against the Cubs tonight, losing right now, and then these two four-game series. To me, if we could get, let's forget about tonight for a minute, but if we could get four out of these eight games, that would be a positive result to me. Do you agree? Oh, yeah, definitely. And we're losing by a little more tonight than we had been. Harvey, after we were singing his praises, sort of has given up two more runs. It's now 4-1 Cubs. I'm not sure yet how the run scored. Let me let me see if I can get I that. I think it was a Kyle Schwarber home run. Another home run. Yep. Yep, one out of yeah, fourth and, Schwarber homers. So It's not great. I mean, it's not great that he's that Harvey's given up these three long balls. I mean, it's it's not a good night 
to pitch. It's hot in New York. Um, the Cubs are home run hitters, but man, this is rough. It uh, it's it's rough for Matt Harvey. And there goes your streak, or you know, I guess it's not a streak, but you said only once in the last five starts has he given up more than three runs. It's now four runs in the first four innings here tonight. Wow, did you see this? By the way, this is happening no, I haven't. In, this is unfolding in real time right here. But... No, what's going on? So it's the bottom of the fourth. There's one out. And Jose Reyes has uh, batting eighth. Jose Reyes has just walked to load the bases. Okay. And Matt Harvey's turn is up, and they are pinch hitting for him. Yes. And all right. The gentleman who is pinch hitting for him is Stephen Matz. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Stevie's a good hitter, but that's that's pretty strange, isn't it? Loaded. That's a little weird. I mean, I love that they're pinch hitting for him. I mean, running him out there again in a kind of a I don't know. I mean, well, let me ask you this. Does this mean Rafael Montero is coming in for four innings now? Because if that's the case, then what's a, why do we even bother pinch hitting? He's, we know he's going to give up a bunch of more runs. What do you think? Is you think that's a Mets plan at this point? I hope not. I don't know. We'll have to see. But you might hope not. But do you think that's what's going to happen? Who do you think is going to take the mound in the fifth? Presumably, if you're watching the game, you can tell us. Or I guess you can't tell us because this is not a call-in show. But presumably, if you have the game on, you might know who's warming up in the pen, but where I'm sitting, I'll try to find out via Twitter or something. But I, I mean, if they called up Montero, this is the kind of situation that I, I would feel like if someone needs to come in in the fifth inning of a game, who else can go multiple innings out of the fifth for the Mets right now? It's not going to be like Edgin. It's not going to be, certainly not going to be Blevins or Salas. Uh, Seawald. So they could bring in Seawald. Seawald for a couple innings, I, okay. I don't know. I I don't have the broadcast on. I just have Seawald the... for the fifth and Seawald for the fifth and sixth, and then the back end guys to finish the game is not the craziest plan. And they, I feel like they might do that if we score some runs here. If we don't score any runs and we're still down by three, I wouldn't be surprised to see Montero. I wouldn't be surprised to see anybody with with Terry managing the game, <laughs> but. Um, It'd be interesting to see how the, how the Mets do manage the rest of the game. And, of course, it'd be nice if Steve Matz can come up with a big pinch hit here against Cubs starter Mike Montgomery, who I think is still in the game, right? Yeah, he's still in the game. I, I'm trying to I, – I, I don't see who's warming up, so we are uh, failing our listeners here. But, um, oh, wait a minute. Mets down. Here's a tweet from 10 minutes ago. Paul Sewald was warming. There it is. So that, that could be the answer. 10 minutes ago. So that's who they were thinking of bringing in. Um I'm going to, with trepidation, search Montero and see if he pops up anywhere. But it might be Seabolt coming in in well, the, the top of the field. Can we talk about the fact that Steven Matz is hitting? That's a little weird. That's a little weird, right? I mean, It's definitely a little weird. Who's on the bench right now? Uh, TJ Rivera so and then they, Rene Rivera. I think TJ not... Rivera came into this game. I don't know if this is oh, going to be, that, that gonna be the most uh, fascinating uh, podcast listening here uh, in any case. But um, So this is what it is. Something has happened where Neil Walker is out of this game. I don't know if he got hurt or what, but Rivera started at first base, and then they did. By the way, Steven Matz just. Got a single and drove in a run. So it's yeah, Stevie. Uh, anyway, very nice. Neil Walker's out of the game. Uh, Duda has come in to play first base. Rivera went from first to second. I believe that Cespedes may also be unavailable, and that may be what's driving uh, Terry. Okay, well that makes sense. That they already had to use a bench player. They're not going to use Rene Rivera in this spot, and so if Cespedes is unavailable. That pretty much only leaves that leaves Conforto and and Rene Rivera. And so. Conforto's unavailable too, right? right. I mean, so he's we, still out. We, we may be playing with a, just a really short bench. To How play. serious That's... is this Conforto injury? By the way, we haven't mentioned this yet, but he's missed. This is his third straight game he's missed now. Right? I haven't read anything about it. Um, I, I haven't read anything beyond it's being sort of a day to day thing. I think if they knew that it was going to be worse than that, he would already be on the DL. So I'm hopeful. Yeah. Update, the Mets continue to go station to station. After Steven Matt singles with the bases loaded to drive in one run, Juan Legara singles with the bases loaded to drive in another run. It's now 4-3 Cubs with the bases still loaded in the bottom of the fourth and still only one out. All right, we got to uh, take a break from this uh, play-by-play of the podcast that nobody's going to listen to for uh, until the day after the game happens. So, oh, wait, actually, I got, I got two outs. Now, how did that happen? I think he That's hit a sack good. fly. So he had was... a single. He had a single earlier in the game. Yeah. Hmm. All yeah, right. Well, anyway, it's four three Cubs one way or the other. I don't have the game on TV, obviously, guys. I was trying to in. I was trying to use induction 
from the box score or deduction from the box score. It apparently didn't work. Or and neither neither induction nor deduction helped me out. Or reduction. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't know. All right. Um, hit us up on Twitter and let us know what you think of our play-by-play of the game when neither of us is watching it that you're listening to a, a day after the game happens. I'm let getting a TV back. I'm getting a TV back soon. <laughs> let so us know if you good. like that format. We can bring it back for future episodes. Um, you can find me on Twitter at cfargis, C-F-A-R-G-I-S. And I'm Matt underscore Matros, M-A-T-R-O-S. And... This has been episode eight of Met Sounds. We've we've done this for a while now, Chris. We've got quite a few episodes in the bag, so hopefully we haven't lost too many listeners along the way. Okay, hit us up. Let us know uh, if you're listening to the show, and let's go Mets. Let's go Mets. Met Sounds would like to thank the Red Thread, an artist whose song Five you're hearing right now, and which you also heard at the beginning of the show. Five is available from the Free Music Archive, is licensed under Creative Commons, Attribution Non-Commercial 3.0. So I'll just walk right out the door Played a game right from the start I trust you, you used me And now my heart's all torn apart I'm sailing, I'm sailing It's a fact, fact of life That's a game, it's a game to strife Everything is all in strife I'm sailing, I'm sailing on I'm moving, I'm moving on Sail on, sail on Facts for life to show.